Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And, oh, am I excited to talk about the character we meet at the very start of this episode. Like, we waste no time. <laughs> and in fact, it's it's one of the, like, most off-model openings the show has ever had. Yeah. Is, how does an episode of the show start? It starts with Vinny. Or it starts with a conversation at the office. That's pretty much how every episode of Wise Guy starts. This episode starts with a, a car uh, chase! A car chase. <laughs> uh, while I Feel Good plays on the radio. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. Uh, no, it really is. It's it's fantastic. All right, so we we follow a guy i feel good plays high speed car chase cops chasing down a guy it's thrilling it's wonderful to watch it's great uh you see the the driver of the car who will come to know his name monroe blue uh played by ron taylor he is a fantastic performance in this role he is so much fun and it's like you're watching him do the car chase and you're like, okay, well, this guy is obviously having problems because he is loving this car chase. Yeah. <laughs> like, everything about how he plays it is just so... I cannot believe what a good time I'm having with this car chase. I'm like, <laughs> dude, back dial it back a little. But yeah, he loves his car chase and he's having a great time. He's racing all over. Oh, it's so much fun to watch. Like the energy of this scene, the editing of this scene is just such a beautiful thing to watch as you're uh, watching it. And now before we get into the story, I just want to let you know about a little bit about Ron Taylor. Uh, okay. He did a, he has sadly passed away back in 2002. Uh, so he's no longer with us. He's a fan, He's just an amazing performer. We've seen him in a hundred TV shows, but there's two credits I want to mention briefly. One the thing I most know him from is he was the big, scary black guy in the jail cell with Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places. Remember when Trading Places? Oh, yeah, oh yeah, of course. And, and then, then the they giant start... scary guy. And then the... yeah. Yes, and then they start singing. Yeah, uh, that guy. Right, that's, that's uh, uh, yeah, with Eddie Murphy that's... and then with him. Yeah. yeah. And Monroe then, yeah. Blue. <laughs> yeah, that's Monroe Blue. Also, he has... Maybe the strangest credit, and I, I had I had no idea about this, but I'm going to tell you the credit, and you tell me if this blows your mind and whether this is accurate or not. In Temple of Doom, apparently he was the voice of Lao Che. So, you know the really? guy, the, the Chinese gangster that Indy goes yeah. to meet? Yeah. Apparently... For whatever reason, they needed someone to do a voiceover of that guy's voice. Maybe the actual Chinese actor didn't have, like, they didn't like how his voice ended up sounding. Yeah. Maybe his accent was too thick, whatever. Appar according to IMDb, and I don't know if this is right, but it's on IMDb, and it, I don't feel like it's something they would make up. He was the voice of Lao Che, apparently. Wow. Yeah, I know. He did a ton of voice acting. He's a, sol he's a solid singer, but apparently he was never actually a singer or anything. He's just like a really talented voice performer and actor. So we miss you, Ron Taylor. This is a fantastic performance and we're always going to remember you as Monroe Blue. So, oh yeah, <laughs> we have a wonderful car chase scene, which, you know, not a ton of plot, just a wonderful car chase. But the punchline is that when he gets out of the car, he holds up a bag of... <laughs> 
a paper, paper bag, bag and quarters come spilling out of it. And you're like, wait, this was all about quarters? A bag of quarters? That's why we were having a high speed chase. Uh, then we get a, then we get another scene in the office. Uh, you know, pa- uh, finally Paul and uh, Frank are in the same place. So Frank is in a position to explain himself to Paul. Mm-hmm. And they go over all of the stuff about the industry, Winston, you know, the various players that they're dealing with. And Frank makes the case that, yes, it's unusual and it's not what they normally do, but they should keep this going because, you know, they're making good progress. They're inside yeah. a corrupt, an obviously corrupt organization, Shackler Records. They're pissing off Winston. Like, everything they want to accomplish, they are currently accomplishing. Yeah. We get a great moment where Paul and Frank just lament over being out of touch with modern culture. Yeah, I know. That was such a wonderful It's just a couple of lines where it's like, where he's like, uh, Paul just has to say, why can't they sound like Hank Williams? And Frank's response is, hey, don't, you know, don't talk to me. I wish they all sounded like Chuck Berry. Yeah. Like, boom. There you go. That's wonderful writing right there. Yeah. No, the two of them are wonderful together. It's it's a fun little scene. And it makes it, its point that we go off. And it's like, yeah, this is the, that's why. And it raises the question and the possibility that, like, the reason that the FBI is, you know, taking its eye off of this kind of crime is it really is new kinds of technology, new kinds of culture. relatively new kinds of crime and they're you know a bunch of middle-aged men who aren't really aware of the cult what's going on in the culture right now so i mean it's a funny line but it does also show you how they can be taking their eyes off the ball yep yeah it's interesting and revelatory even while it's being funny which again is why the show is so good they don't waste anything all right, so then we get uh, Vinny is now works for Shackle Records, so we see him there, and we get a little conversation about how he needs to be signing acts because they're only going to succeed at a business if they find like the new big stars, and I mean that's true of anybody. Uh-huh. That's true. Of, that's true of every industry. So it's not like uh, uh, it's not like this is new information to Vinny, but uh, they remind him that you know what he's a partner in the business now, so he's got to. Uh, uh, he's got to prove his worth to the business other than, you know, giving them an unbelievably good deal Yeah, <laughs> on said business. Uh, then Vinny gets a call from Monroe Blue because it turns out he is under contract with Dead Dog Records. So technically, Vinny is his boss and he wants someone to come and bail him out of prison. I know, but it, it's just the way it's done. And there is there is starstruck Vinny. Yeah. Like, that Monroe Blue. That Monroe Blue, guiding hand, worm in the apple. Like, you know, Monroe Blue. Strutting That's right. honey. Strutting honey. Yep. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So, uh, again, great character stuff here. He goes, he sees Monroe. He goes, he gets Monroe. He busts him out of jail. And we find out the story behind why he was driving that ridiculously fast. Uh, he had never gotten, he's like, uh, I wrote Strut and Honey. It is current, like, I never got a dime in royalties. I got paid in a watch that, you know, I got paid in a watch and now Radiance Recordings 
owns the uh right owns the rights to it and i never been paid a dime in royalties it just got re-recorded by a really popular white band uh they call the band ice nine which is i think a kurt vonnegut reference yes i have to check i think that's a kurt vonnegut reference i've been wrong before but i think that's what ice nine is um so it's like yeah this white band recorded it and now you know i'm hearing it everywhere i go and so i heard it in the bar i was at and i got a little angry and I smashed the jukebox open and took all the quarters because at least that way I'm getting paid for the song finally. <laughs> oh, just beautiful. It is. It really is beautiful. And the interesting thing is, and what I like about this scene and his subsequent scene with Vinny is that he actually makes the case and it's like, you get the idea that Vinny is gaining a bit of a reputation. Yeah. Because, like, no one assumed, like, who could have thought Diana Price would be back? Like, no, nobody, nobody. Thought, nobody thought that was ever going to happen, that we were ever going to see Diana again. Who, who could have guessed that? And so we get this idea that, well, Vinny, we know that he did it as a way to get into the industry. The fastest ways to piss off Winston right? To get people's attention is to bring her back. So he did it. There was no risk to him because it wasn't his money. <laughs> yeah. So, but, and the story he told everyone was that he felt that the company has a duty to the people that it represents, right? And yeah. the duty that the people has screwed over in the past. Now, that's not why Vinny did it, but that is how Vinny feels. Yes. And so Monroe Blue thinks that, well, if this is who's running Dead Dog Records now, Maybe I can go and get some of what am I like? Maybe there's finally a reasonable man in this industry and I can get some of what I'm owed. So it's like the little thing he did with Diana really is helping set his, um, set his origin story in the business and giving him a reputation. Like it's working better than he possibly could have imagined. Yeah. Yeah. So really nice touch because that's why Monroe feels that, oh, well, he can call up Vinny and get a favor from him because obviously dead dog owes him just like it owed diana there you go it's a nice touch and again yep. like it's just showing how slowly they're building these relationships right and showing how there is an impact to what Vinny is doing it's it's just such a smart way of writing this season just i know i talk about how great this is a lot but it really is great and then we find out that this season was more packed than we realize because we see 10 seconds of what was probably a five-minute scene they cut. Did you okay. notice this? Okay. So the next scene is when Vinny's being interviewed by a guy from fake, like, some, like, from Billboard oh, yeah. magazine or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And literally, all we see, the entire scene that we see is a guy, a close-up of a guy putting down a tape recorder and starting it, immediately saying... How does it feel about the, you know, it's like, what do you think about the rumors that you slept your way to the top uh, by dating your boss, Winston Nukeway? And then Vinny immediately throws him out. Like, yep. so immediately throws him out. Diana doesn't even have a line. Right? Yep. Uh, and so you're like, oh, there was a whole scene there that got cut for time. Right? Because this is a packed episode. 
yeah, so there's a whole scene there that got t- uh, cut for time. Like all of this guy's comments, all of like all of his questions that I assume were going to get, you know, uh, more and more personal as the interview went on. That all gets cut, and all we get is one probably out of line question and Vinny throwing the guy out. So yeah, it just it hurts me to know that in addition to like all of the other stuff we've missed, that there are so obviously entire cut scenes in a vault somewhere at CBS or at the production company that we're never going to see. You know? Yeah, it is sad. It's sad because it, this isn't the kind of show, tragically, I mean, maybe someday it will be, but this isn't the kind of show that gets like archivists interested, that gets people to come and, you know, do remasters and see, oh, well, here's the cut content. Like, we get that from so many things now, but are we ever going to get it from Wise Guy? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. And it's it's a little tragic, you know, just a, a little mm. bit, because I would have loved to see how this scene played and how Debbie Harry played it. Uh, because yeah. it's interesting when we see her, she's like completely withdrawn and wearing sunglasses. And obviously that's her at the end of the scene, yeah. you know, <laughs> not the beginning of the scene. Well, what brought her to that state, we would have loved to know. All right. So... Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> they do, right? All right. Yep. So then... Uh, right. So they do that scene. We find out that there was cut, um, there was cut content from the episode, which is a little sad. And, uh, and of course, Bobby is pissed off at Vinny. Bobby quite understandably gets pissed off for Vinny because Vinny, because, you know, this was free press. And as he says, you know, generally in this industry, you have to go out of pocket for press. Payola! <laughs> yep, it's the same thing. You know, you, uh, yeah. well, no, I mean, it's not, it's not payola. It's basically just, uh, well, I mean, it is payola. But, yes. I mean, you're not actually, <laughs> with payola, they were just handing people wads of cash. With magazines, the idea is you commit to do, to buying, like, X amount of ad space in an ad if they agree to co- do, uh, come and do your story. So, it's not really payola. Cor- but, well, but it's yeah. the—it's in the same family. Oh, it's absolutely in the same family. <laughs> but the difference is you're not just, like, handing a chunk of cash to a reporter. Yeah. And that is that is a slight difference, right? Yeah. Uh, then we get some behind-the-scenes stuff at Shackle Records, where we, find, where we get, like, a window into the, ten- uh, the tension in the company. Because... We see Amber on the phone trying to make a payment, right, uh, with somebody essentially getting a loan against uh, the upcoming album, like their cut of an album that one of their bands is going to report, like going to record at some point in the future. Yeah. And if you're trying to make that kind of a deal, you're not in great financial shape. No. Because, like, it's not like it's against one of their assets. It's against a hypothetical Hypothetical. future accent. uh, Yeah, and as she says, well, six months, three years, don't know. (laughs) Who knows when they're actually going to get in the uh, studio and record this thing? Like, they're artists. We're making music here, not sausages, is their line. Yeah. Again, I really love. Oh, God. It's such a good scene. And then, at the same time, uh, Vinny walks in, and she's like, you know, was happy to get the publishing catalog, was happy to get Diana, but she's like, well, now we're paying Vinny a salary for what? So she's immediately only ever thinking about 
the bottom line, which again, as a character, you completely understand from her. With Isaac being as flighty as he is, someone's got to keep an eye on the bottom line. Right? Yep. So, boom, there you go. And speaking of, Isaac comes in and grabs a couple of hundred dollars out of the uh out of the safe and says he's going gambling and uh invites Vinny to hundred? come along with him. Oh, no, he specifically uh $1500 is what he brings uh with him. We are told. Mm. And then we uh so he grabs a couple of bucks out of the safe, says he's going to like do some gambling and <laughs> let's and this is again who just who Isaac is <laughs> lets her know that uh, she should uh, leave the soccer game on because they got te- ten grand riding on the guys in the light blue uniforms. Jeez. Oh, he's the worst, and that's why we love him. Uh, and, of course, we also have... Uh, what is it? This is the scene where we get... Is this the scene where we get the... Uh, the great line for understanding who Isaac is? Her saying that, like, if you were... You know, if you cared half as much about the business about as you do gambling... We'd be retired in the south of France by Press. now. And yes, this is the one. Yes, I hate the south of France. Oh, God. he And that's the thing. That's who Isaac is. He's a guy who loves the hustle. Yep. He loves hustling. And he is so, like, it's this weird situation where I don't think he's a bad person the way uh, Winston is a bad person, right? Right. I really don't think he is. But it's like, he is... And tell me if I'm reading too much into this. Shackler Records has gotten to a level of success, which is like the top you level of success you can get to without really screwing people over. Yeah. Because, I mean, as we talk about in capitalism, you know, it's like there's a level of... If you want to succeed in capitalism, at a certain point you have to start screwing people over. You have to start damaging people. You have to start stealing from people. You have to start cheating if you want to succeed in capitalism. And I feel like the secret to Isaac's character is he's not willing to get to that next level of success. Yeah. So he's just kind of stuck here. He doesn't have to, like, he's making, they're making good money. He's doing fine. But he doesn't have to hustle anymore. And because he doesn't have to hustle anymore, he's bored with his life. Yeah. Right? And that's where, that's why he's become such, like, he's gambling worse now than he ever has in the past. Like, he's become this inveterate gambler because he's bored by the life because he can't make that step to the next level. And it's, it's an interesting, it's what, I think it's what makes him such a fascinating character. You know? Like, it really is. Yes. Well, the performance is just so out of this world. Oh, God. So, I mean, and it only gets better every episode because yeah. as we, as we get more and more like intimately involved with the character, knowing more about where he's coming from, it's like every episode, like you say, Paul Winfield is given license to turn up his performance another couple of degrees every single episode. So he's like, he's of this fun guy right from the start. And then he gets bigger and bigger every episode and it, it completely works. All right, so uh, he takes Vinny off to uh, to do some gambling. Except when he gets there, it turns out it is not a small game where he's going to spend $1,500. It's a very big, very illegal game being run. 
in a hotel room somewhere where people are paying for tens of thousands of dollars, and he's got $150,000 to turn over to the guy who runs the game because that because he left a $120,000 marker last week or last month, and he hasn't been allowed back in the game until he pays it off. Oh, and so he also has Vinny a buy-in for himself and Vinny, and uh, they split all of the money 60-40. It's basically just uh, Vinny's deal with Bobby again. Uh, you know, I'll put up the resources, and I get 60% of anything you make. Yeah. Uh, and so they go, they gamble, and of course, uh, importantly, Winston is at the game. This is his and Winston's regular game, and it's where they see each other most frequently. And so we get some gambling. It's it's a very fun ride. And then we cut away from the gambling to see what, weirdly, Johnny Medley and Diana are up to. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was such an interesting scene. Yeah. You know? Where with the like, two of them. He and, wants um, and he's Tanya, decided. Yes. He's decided he desperately wants to make the album. Yep. And and again, it's an interesting thing. Where the reason he gives is the exact, is like a reason we're going to hear over and over again. It's what we've already seen from, um, from Isaac is that the way that, uh, Winston does business is boring to him. It's yeah. like the way he runs the music industry like a business and he doesn't care about the art and he doesn't care about the music. Not like he should if he's in the business. That's it's led to this situation where everyone is bored and everyone is antsy and everyone wants to get out from under his thumb because they all feel like they didn't get into the music industry to just do the same thing over and over, over again and until over it stopped again. making money, you know, and that's that's what record companies want you to do. Do the exact same thing over and over again until you stop making money and then they move on to the next thing. They don't care about you. They only care about the amount of money you can generate for them. And that is not how all of these other people want to run their businesses. They got into the music industry, like the performers, the producers, some, you know, some of the executives, they got into the music industry because they love music. They love the industry. And that's just not who Winston is. You know, it's or at least it's not who Winston is anymore, because, of course, he started out as a DJ, too. Yeah, and as we will find out, he loved the industry. Oh, yeah, he used to love the industry. He has just lost his connection to the parts of the industry he loves. He just doesn't feel it anymore, right? And that's, again, fascinating character stuff we're getting in. And so we get a great scene of him saying, please record an album. She says, I've only written the one song. (laughs) 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 Which I thought was It's like, I've only written the one song. I need 11 more to write an, uh, write an album. And it took me a year to write that one. You know, by this point, we're not going to have an album to release until the year 2000. Which was a good line. Which is a good line. And so Johnny says, uh, you know, it's like, go right with Monroe. He, he owes Vinny a favor. We can absolutely, uh, we can absolutely make this happen. You write with Monroe Blue and then boom. You'll have an album in a weekend, as long as you keep him in, like, beer and cocktail napkins. Yeah, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. (laughs) Oh, man. Meanwhile, and we know that he doesn't care, 
because Bobby Travis walks in uh, and says, I got Monroe a job writing a jingle for a car commercial. He's like, I'm not writing a car commercial. It's 20 grand. Oh, okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll write a car commercial. <laughs> what do I care? You know? Yeah. And again, it's just, you know, you know, business is business, right? He's like, and he, I don't remember who he name checks, but he's like, got, you know, it's like good enough for a couple of other famous musicians. I think the... Not the Rolling Stones. Not the Rolling Stones. But he he name checks a bunch of musicians who've had their uh, music and ads. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, God, what is it? Uh, why am I blanking on his name? Velvet Underground? Joe. Anyway, not important. Uh, but the point is, he names some famous people who have, in fact, uh, had their music and ads. And he's like, oh, okay. So, yeah, this is all a business. We all know it's a business. (laughs) Like, first and foremost. It's it's a again a really nice scene. We just get one of them after another. Although I do like uh, everyone call I I do like everyone calling Johnny on his coke use. Yeah, everybody That's a nice, does. Like everybody calls him on his coke. He's doing way too much coke, even for the music industry, and even for Tanya, <laughs> even for Tanya, who is as we'll learn next episode, have has her own problems. Yep. Oh, poor Tanya. You know, and I mean, it, but it is really good, right? Like that whole, it's just a scene. It's it, like, it's so, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't put the story forward. But you see Tanya, you know, you're pushing her. Yeah. How you know? he's the, literally the only one that he will listen to. Yeah. Except her. Yeah. He won't listen to anybody. He won't be serious for anybody except for Tanya. And it's mm-hmm. like, as screwed up as this relationship is, it is a grounding influence on him. Yeah. Like, it is, it has made Johnny Medley stable for probably the first time in his life. And so, yeah, we might find this very creepy, but something is working for them. And who the hell knows why, right? Yeah. And maybe well, it is literally because he's yeah so because she's mature. not yeah yeah and it, no I mean it is it is funny because she's not in the music business no, I mean that's it the crazy was part it's the yeah it's the woman who because in the Phil Spector it would Phil be Spector uh, story oh God who it's was what's it? her face from the Ronettes Ronettes yeah um the lead singer well, from the Ronettes tech, I mean I'll just go by her married name because it's easier to remember Ronnie Spector yeah Ronnie Spector. There Who's this is. woman yeah. that, oh, fantastic performer, unbelievably powerful. And then he decided, oh, well, you know, I created you, you know, you should marry me. And she, out of obligation or like confused feelings she had about what he did for her, did in fact marry him. And it proved a disaster because the real life Phil Spector is not a chill guy like Johnny Medley. He's not as no. chill as Johnny Medley. And Johnny Medley ain't that chill. But it's like, literally, she had to put up with, you know, 15 years of horrific abuse at the hands yeah. of the real Phil Spector. It was terrible. Oh, it was it was a nightmare that she, I mean, given what happened with Phil Spector, it's a nightmare she was lucky to have gotten out of alive. Yeah. Like, no, that's, like. That's how you end up <sighs> feeling about that one. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And I, I don't want to be, like, cavalier about this, but Ronnie Spector literally dodged a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it sounds like I'm it's making It's literal jokes, as opposed in this to... Case, uh, it is literal. Yeah. You know, it is literally, she dodged a bullet. 
she could very well have ended up getting killed by her husband, given the way he treated her. Because that's the thing. It's like controlling guys are the guys who will always murder you. You know, as they I don't remember who's saying it was, but it's like a cheater will break your heart. A controlling man will kill you. Yep. And so it's like, if you got to be with a shitty guy, the one who cheats on you is the better choice by far. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound great, but it's it's what women have to put up with. And let's face it, gay men as well, because there's a hell of a lot of spousal abuse in that community. Just well, and and I hate to say it, gay women as well. Oh, yeah, lesbians. absolutely. Lesbians too. It was like one this, of... Yeah. It it, is, well, it is the anger. It is the relationship. It is what I said a long, long time ago. It doesn't matter who you have sex with if you don't change the structure. Exactly. Yeah, like, that's the thing. This is not... A, this is a, Stalking and spousal abuse is not a gendered crime. No. It really isn't. Well, you know, I mean, it's still predominantly male on female. female. Oh, absolutely. But it is not exclusively that. No. Well, and the the difference is, and I think part of the difference is cultural assumptions, right? Because there is a, there is this unfortunate sign-off in culture on certain kinds of abuse when it's men controlling women. There are these assumptions about how, you know, relationships between men and women are supposed to go that end up essentially approving of controlling behavior that's fair to say isn't it i'm teaching a course on women <laughs> you're right what am i saying i've just Why been I talking asked? about yeah. the every right, baby needs a dad dad daddy my poor class on thursday really? oh, well they were just like so i played the first song and they're going and i said so who was creeped out a little bit by that song Oh my god. Oh, oh. I'm going to see if I can find it for you. Would you like to know that I found the creepiest one of those songs ever? It wasn't called Baby Pictures, was it? No, it's not called Baby Pictures. I was on a complete whim. uh, Something showed up on Amazon. If it's still there, I'll get it for you. And everyone can enjoy this too. It's a um, it's a sketch comedy show. Trying to remember who the host was. Either Lucille Ball or Mary Tyler Moore. It's not important who it was for the purpose of this conversation. But like, you know, they're doing their sketch and then do their musical numbers. And it's like, this guy comes on and he sings a song. And it's it's basically a song about being in love with your daughter. And I'm like, how was this okay at 7 o'clock on a Sunday to be singing on television? But that's what courtship culture is. Like, well, it's it's not okay, and but this is from way back when, oh, right? I know. Now, what I'm what I'm going to say is, well, yeah, I mean that's like yellow roses. Oh. Um, it, it, there's a whole bunch of those those sorts of songs, you know, and how yeah. it's a it's a subgenre that you know I haven't even <laughs> you know I could. It's creepy. And no, I'm no, glad creepy. I, yeah, creepy. There's a song. And a par- and somebody found it. I I couldn't find it this morning on YouTube, but she found it in class because okay. I was saying what I said to my students was, if you think that song's creepy, I said, <laughs> there's this song I said that I've heard twice in my life. And I said, called Baby Pit. I said, it, it's, it's about this guy, this girl who's got the boyfriend and brings her home. Oh, right. Brings him home. 
And he's so aroused by her baby pictures. Yeah, he's getting off on her baby picture. And actually, this one student in my class found it. Oh, yeah, you told me about this song. I've never heard it, though. Oh, no. Well, if if she if she can find it again, uh, it will go up. But it and then I so she played it. And and because I'm going, I said, I'm not sure if I got that line exactly right. Yes, I did. (laughs) Yes, I did. The class was just like horrifying. It's yeah. I said, and you wonder why we went so crazy. Like why Later feminists on. had to get it's like seriously, like, yeah. Feminists needed to put a stop to this. Yeah, somebody had to put a stop to it, and it wasn't going to be the men. Honestly, like, well, I mean, nineteen sixties, you know, Mad Men era. I saw this ad once, you know, and people being horrified by stuff on the internet from the past. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, Vaseline or Noxzema or whichever one it was for will keep your. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, we'll keep your skin baby soft women because there's nothing sexier than a baby. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that was an ad in Good Housekeeping and Red Book? Nothing sexier than a baby? And you wonder where the Josh Duggars of the world come from. Jesus Christ. <sighs> well, let, right. me, let, me, let me tell you, and as I pointed out, I forgot that it was called Mad Men. Matt, right, right, yet yeah. on Thursday. I forgot the show. And I said, look, I said, people, I said, when it was out, I said, obviously, it was a little before your guy's time. Yeah. But I said, when this show, because they're all like 1918. Yeah, they're all 1920. They were six when Bad Men started. Yeah, I started. said, so Mad Men was on. I said, there was this show and everybody was, thought I was going to watch it and I would love it, right? And I'm going, I, I live go it. again. I said, I lived it. I sure as hell don't want to watch it. I, what I want you to do is, people who would say that to Sheila, watch one episode of Mad Men and see how the women are treated on that show universally. <laughs> and remember that she was that age at that time. At the late 60s. In the late 60s. She, you know, she was in her 20s in the late 60s. And she no, was I wasn't. I was, I, whoa, 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 whoa. In the late 60s, in the late, the, so I turned 18 in 67. Yeah. Yeah. So in the late so 60s. So the early, okay. late so, 60s, yeah. early 70s, and yes. it was, and it was bad. And I was at yeah. the university and I worked in Toronto in, bank. oh, you, uh, no. I have heard some no. stories, but I definitely haven't heard all of them. Oh, no. <laughs> you haven't heard anywhere near all of them. And I'm not sure. Well, no, and and the reason, in case you're wondering, you've forgotten how we got here, we're, we, the two of us are grappling with the fact that we are genuinely charmed by the relationship, uh, between Tanya and Johnny Medley, even though, and we are a little troubled by how charmed we are on it, because we believe, without, you know, (laughs) for, for good reason, that it is a, you know, whitewashing, if you will, of a particularly dark aspect of culture that was endemic at the time. Oh so yeah, like, it's... we we love Johnny and Tanya, but like the Phil Spec, the true version of this story is a horrific nightmare. Yeah, for that woman, and for yeah, I... a lot of women. Yep, you know it's so. Anyway, we'll we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Low, move on. Loath as I am to stop talking about feminist theory. 
We okay, will move on. We, we may be talking more about that because I will be teaching this course till <laughs> mid-December. So the foreseeable, you're going to hear a lot of feminist theory come up for the next, I mean, whatever show or we're talking about, we're going to have gonna be an, something. We're going to find something to talk about. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, Vinny and uh, Vinny and Isaac win big at the game make themselves 50 grand for a couple hours work it's a you know a nice day and here's something that is very key and i don't know if this is the writers getting something wrong or the writers revealing something okay okay i'll tell you what i think when Vinny worked in the mob mm-hmm. so in the first season he became rather quickly the kind of guy who when he finishes a meal and i talked about this previously in the show uh, never looks at the bill, takes $200 out of his wallet, and just leaves the $200. Yes, that was, like, that's, I didn't understand. Yeah, yep. I don't understand the purpose. Yeah, I I, under, I know where what. you're going. I know where you're going. And I'll, no, I'll tell you what the purpose is. And I believe it. it isn't an accident. I believe it is a purpose. It has a purpose. And I'll tell you what I think the purpose is. In this scene, when Vinny walks up, uh, when it, going out the door, He's going out the door after they won all this money. And Isaac hands the guy who, just the guy who gives him his coat, hands him 500 bucks for his coat. Yeah. And yeah. It, they just won $50,000. So it's just given him 1% of the money they just won. That's yeah. nothing. 1% of the money. But Vinny is like, you just gave that guy, <laughs> he's just shocked. You just gave that guy, you know, $500. And so he gives the guy, uh five dollars the guy is in no hurry to help him put his coat on and you're like and what you and a lot of people watching it right are asking yourself is how is Vinny so cheap suddenly yes and that's what you thought when you're watching it right yep he's cheap and i'll tell you why because he's not playing a role anymore he's thinking of this as his money when he was handing out all that cash he was Vinny Terranova, best friend of mobster Sonny Steelgrave, and guy who had to put on a lot of flash. Throwing around money willy-nilly was a character he was playing. He's not playing a character anymore. He thinks of this job as his job. He thinks of, uh, um, of what do you call it, of uh, Dead Dog Records as his company. He's forgotten that he's an FBI agent, and they're revealing that by him suddenly being cheap, even though that is completely at odds from whatever everything we've seen about him before. But it's not at odds, because we haven't spent a lot of time with the real Vinny Terranova. We've spent a lot of time with the character he's been playing yeah. as a mobster. Okay. And so that scene is, I know it seems like just a weird scene, but I honestly believe that that scene and that character choice is more important and more revelatory than it than it first appears to be. Well, and given... I'll tell you why. Well, no, and my theory is proven by the way this episode ends. Yes, yes, yes. Your theory. No, no. And what I was just going to say, given the way they are so careful about everything they write and making sure that everything all is eventually consistent and and yeah. together. Yes, you're right. Yeah, it is consistent yeah. with the way this episode ends. Because uh, Vinny is a little ticked off at Isaac right now 
because he has just fa- been handed a bill for $30,000 in his first, you know, two weeks with the company. Yeah. He's like, why the hell am I getting this bill? And, uh, uh, why am I hell am I getting this bill? And he's like, and he says that, well, the record company buys, uh, you know, orders, sorry, the record company, the record store orders 50,000 or 100,000 or 200,000 albums from us. But the rule is we get, you know, they order them and they pay us for them, but we have to take returns if they don't get sold. That's the deal. It's the same deal that's in the the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we'll we'll have your books, uh, your books in the place. But if the books don't sell, uh, we you got to Yeah. 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 And an interesting thing about the publishing industry is uh, you'll see a notice right in the front of every book. That says, uh, if you bought this book without a cover, uh, if they had no legal right to sell it to you and it, a fraud has happened. And yeah. the reason that is, it is so, books are so heavy and so expensive to ship, right? That mm-hmm. it is, it is not cost effective to return an unsold book. So what the agreement in the industry is, all a bookstore has to do is tear the cover off the book. And if you send, send back a hundred yeah. book, a hundred covers, they'll reimburse you for a hundred books. Yeah. So yeah, that's why if you were go to a Goodwill, you will often find books without covers because sometimes companies that um, that do this won't pulp the books and won't burn the books. They will donate the books to Goodwill or a school or a library, yeah. just so so they have to give away. And it's a really nice thing the bookstores do, and they don't have to do that. But if you pay money for a book without a cover, you have participated. You are, you know, participating in a fraud. The part you did isn't illegal. The person selling it, that's the illegal part. But you were participating in a fraud. As (laughs) strange as that sounds. As strange (laughs) as it sounds. All right. So so Vinny's ticked off about that, but they just made some money gambling. And now we go ahead. Right. And now we go ahead to the big party for the release of Diana's single. And who's there at the party? Uh, Winston. Winston. And he's brought along Eddie, oh, Eddie Tempest. Who boy, Eddie Tempest. I don't like you, Eddie Tempest. No, 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 no. He is just like the first character. I even kind of like Winston. I don't like yeah. Eddie Tempest. No, no. I, I can't imagine anybody liking Eddie Tempest. Oh. I don't know who the model was for Eddie Tempest, <laughs> know, right? but I'm sure that there is some. Oh, there, there's a, this is based on a real person. It's oh, sure, be based it has on a real to be. And if I think far enough, I we'll might probably actually... be able to come up with who it is. But wow, but, so yeah. what Eddie Tempest is? He is the he is their their stand-in for the entire youth music field. Like he's a rocker. He makes music that is punk influenced, but he's clearly a rock musician. He is the kind of guy who is war- unbelievably popular with, you know, 16 year old girls. He's that guy, you know, he is the every flash in the pan rocker from the 1980s. Right. And and there were is, lots of them. <laughs> oh, there were lots of them. And the thing about Eddie is. In addition to all of that, being a good-looking rocker who the ladies love, he is unbelievably pretentious. Oh my god! But there so are insufferable. 
I love him. I love the way this guy plays him. No, he, and I he's hate doing the character it. so much. He does such a good job. Oh, the actor with his character. is doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed but, to hate. I mean, oh he's god. So, I mean, he is so. Well, no, but it's like he's so pretentious and like so condemnable that even him doing the right thing this episode, it still doesn't make you like him. No, that's the crazy part. Which okay, let's get into this now. So they have a party, and Diana's not there, right? And yeah. the, Diana's not there, and and he's like, and Winston's like, how about this? Uh, maybe we just have Eddie sing a couple of songs for the people. I mean, I brought him; he's here. You don't want to disappoint the audience. And Vinny's like, oh God, don't! I do not want to hear about Eddie Tempest. This is Diana's party. And everyone feels the same way, except for Isaac, who's happy to take a bet. $10,000 says Diana shows up, you know, and plays against Eddie doing a set. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Eddie uh, does not want any part of this, but he will do what uh, Winston tells him to do. And the funny part is, this is the first time we've seen um what do you call winston at work Mm -hmm. and you get why he's so successful when you see him in this scene because he's fantastic at schmoozing and he remembers everybody's name and he knows what everybody's drinks like he is he is fantastic with people yep he really is he's as good as isaac is with people he's just got the business acumen to back it up like, he is better than Isaac at everything, and you understand, okay, this is how he became by a, a billionaire, is by being the best people person, and then being unbelievably ruthless once he had tricked people with his people skills. <laughs> like, it's a great portrayal, like, because you totally yeah. get who this guy is, and how he's being able to do what he does. So, yeah, just fantastic job here with showing Winston in his element great scene and of course eddie wa- says he wants no part of it he would have gone through with it uh vinnie goes off to find um vinnie goes off to find diana and while uh and while johnny's bit is he schmoozing with everybody uh tanya you know starts making eyes at john at uh, i was about to say johnny uh at eddie tempest and you're like oh this is gonna be a when thing. they both came in <laughs> when they both came in yeah and it's like starts making eyes and uh at uh, eddie tempest and you're like oh this is gonna be a thing fantastic uh right and of course she does start making out with eddie johnny sees it uh they get into a fist fight it's a big mess Vinny has gone back to talk some sense into um uh, to talk some sense into Diana, but we see how ambivalent she's being about the whole thing. Because yeah. guess what? She hasn't talked to Monroe Blue. Yeah. That's the thing. And it's like she literally and it takes another character saying, Why not work with Monroe Blue? And again she says yes, but she's not in a hurry to do it. And you're like, there's something going on with Diana where and we find out in this episode what it is. Yeah. But, like, she's not willing to accept the help in this scene. Like, she's being offered a lifeline. She's being offered a way to make the album and make it good. And she's not willing to accept the help, even when it's offered. She just she just defers over and over again. That said, Vinny does a great pep talk 
right? Not just about Monroe Blue, but how, like, this is her chance to show everyone that she deserves to be back. And it's like, and again, we get the whole, like, being in front of a crowd. And it's like, well, you've already done that for the last time if you don't take this opportunity when it's handed to you. And they're right, but she's got something else going on that we won't find out about for a minute. For a few minutes. Well, for a few minutes. So Diana shows up. She does the set. This really pisses off, uh, (laughs) this really pisses off Claudia because she sees how into it Winston is. Mm. And what's interesting is this is the, this is the scene that where we get, this is the overall set of scenes where we get the scene we talked about last week, which we talked about too early, where we find out that Claudia and Amber are best friends and former roommates. Okay, so but you've got it a little bit wrong. Well, no, in uh, the ta- right the timing, yes. right? The That's timing, right. because by the time Diana gets there, Claudia is already gone. Yeah, Claudia has already decided to leave. She just, she just because Winston tells tells her that she he won't have Diana. Yeah, you know, and he, wants, he what do you yeah he has promised. He's like, I'm going to get Diana back for the label. I created her. No one should be making money off of her but me. And she is like, uh, yeah, we'll make sure it's only your money that you get her money. You get your hands on. Yeah. Because he and that's key. She understands that there actually was something very real between Winston and Diana. Sort of. As real as anything could be. Well, no, but she cheats on him constantly and he cheats on her constantly. Yeah. And this is the only relationship he's been in that she felt was a threat to her relationship with Winston. Anyway, and and then she gets up and then she gets upset and Mm -hmm. then she sits and then Amber goes and sits down with her and Amber is really catty. Unbelievably catty. It was terrible. This is before she even shows up because she says... Uh, to Amber, even if Diana doesn't show up, you've always got the publishing catalog. You know, the investment wasn't a waste. And she assumes that this was a threat of some kind. Yeah. But in but in point of fact, like she was actually trying to be kind in a moment of just absolute emotion, being emotionally distraught herself. She was looking for support and trying to, like, say something nice, which, as she admits, she might have forgotten how to do. Yeah. <laughs> It's possible she's forgotten how to be nice. Yeah. I mean, the two of them, the two of them, and then they sit down and they reminisce and they talk about their relationships. Yeah. And, and And as where we find out that like they were best friends who married best friends. Yeah. And their like, their lives have gone on these completely divergent things Yeah, where this, you get this moment where you're like, Claudia got everything she wanted. You know, they both got everything she wanted. She wanted to be this rich, powerful trophy wife. And Amber wanted to, like, make it big in the business. And they both got exactly what they wanted, and neither of them are happy about it. Yeah. You know, and, like... The old the old lesson of be careful what you wish for, you may get it. Yeah, and that's the <laughs> thing. Well, and, they, and this is where they say the key line, which is... Each of them envies the other's relationship yeah. because Amber values the business, right? And she wishes he was more, Isaac was more serious about it. And Claudia just wishes she knew, she, like she could feel 
that Winston cared as deeply about her as Isaac obviously does about Amber. Yeah, and that's funny. You know, she says, but doesn't doesn't Winston love you? And I mean, it was it's a yeah. very good line. You know, no, he will not permit it. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like it's everything in his life is controlled. Even yes. his relationship. Yeah. Even his relationship with his wife, who he does love, but it has to be on his terms all yeah. the time. Everything always has to be on his terms. Oh, and it's I mean, character. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And Great character. Tragic, tragic, tragic relationship. Yep. Oh, all right. So uh, Diana shows up. She sings her song. And the entire time, all she can see while she's singing her song is Winston at the back of the room staring at her. Yeah, and smiling at her. And smiling at her. And she tries to look away, and she can't look away. Her eyes keep going back to him. Everybody thinks it went great. She goes out to get to her limo. But... Winston is in the limo. Winston's in the limo. And the first thing he does is lie to her. Yep. He says that Claudia got too drunk and he sent her home. And, and we, we all, all know that isn't what happened. <laughs> Claudia just but says, oh, I can't. Yeah. Everything is a manipulation. He needs, like, he needs to get sympathy from her. And, well, what did he say when they were getting together? My wife's a mess. She doesn't understand me. It's you I care about. And yeah. so that's the absolute first thing he does. And one more time one and more, yeah, one more and time. she falls for it one yeah. more time oh god it's such a tragedy like you know she's gonna do it you know you know she's gonna fall for it and she does and what do we see next she's in the uh he's in her apartment serving her breakfast mimosas yep. and convincing her to uh to come back to Radiance Recordings yeah. because he's the only one who can guide her career the way he like she needs it. And the crazy part is, I mean, it would be bad for her, but he does care about the money first and foremost. And if she signed with him, which spoiler alert, she does agree to sign with him. Yeah. We didn't see it happen, but it did happen. She agreed to sign with him. If she did it, I'm sure her album would be a success. Uh, and I'm sure uh, uh, her comeback uh, uh. would be a success. But once again, she would make no money. And in five years, when it, her comeback cooled off, she would be thrown in the dust. Like the exact same thing. And, and I'm not happen. even convinced that he would have done the, made the album. I think he would have. I think he would have because the You're party being and the press. And I no, it's not. No, oh I'm yes, more generous of course. Because the party proved that it's viable and people are excited to see her back, and it would look bad on him as the owner of Radiance Recordings. Okay, I see what you're signed, saying. Yeah, he signed Diana, and I'm not saying he's doing it out of the goodness of his heart. I'm saying that as the president of Radiance Recordings, if Diana makes a big splash and everyone's excited for a comeback, and then she never delivers an album. And he fails to capitalize on it. It makes him look bad. That's true. Yeah. And I don't think he would ever let himself look bad. I think he would give her the comeback and I think he would give her the album. And I think he would, you know, drive her into performing incredibly quickly over like putting out two more albums really fast until people got sick of it. And then he would dump her, you know, which well, because we'll Claudia... is exactly what he's doing with Eddie Tempest. Yeah. Well, Claudia, Claudia would have insisted anyway. Exactly. And that's the thing. At the end of the day, 
he's still whatever he whatever relatively genuine feelings he might have for her it's always going to be the business first yep it's always going to be the business first and that is at the core of who he is and it's why he's such a miserable person down down deep he's just this miserable person because the business is all he has fundamentally so yeah, yeah wonderfully drawn character just a tragic disaster oh and then Vinny goes to check on the uh check on this at uh, these albums that were returned and it turns <laughs> out that the guy of mu- the head of music blitz is pulling a fast one he has gone to the guys who made the covers for jersey turnpikes oh by the way it's the same uh the returns the yeah. 150,000 returns of vinyl is the exact same uh is the exact same uh band that Amber was trying to get in advance on their next record on their next yeah. album from. So just it's all tied together in case you were wondering. They're very careful about that. So it's it's a nice touch that they uh did that. And so she Cushman has gone to the people who made who printed the cover for that album and bought 150,000 copies of the cover for like 10 cents each. Why has he done that? So he can take all of his old unsellable albums, put them in the Jersey Turnpike sleeves, which did sell out, and then uh, get <laughs> and then get Isaac to pay him full price for copies of The Osmonds Live and Paul Revere and the Raiders. And I'm sorry if he'd hung on to the Paul Revere and the Raiders, they would have sold for would, big money they, in the 21st century when vinyl is coming back. <laughs> vinyl came back. Because that's the thing. Um, and this is what Bobby said in the first episode. Vinyl's over. So that means the guy who runs Music Blitz has warehouses full of albums he's not able to sell anymore. And so he's trying to scam uh, yeah. Isaac <clears throat> to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, again, just a fantastic scene. <laughs> yep. Just a great scene all around. And Vinny's so angry. So unbelievably just... furious. Right, he, he back wants to sc- deal with this. Yeah. Screams, and Isaac is kind of playful about the whole thing. He's like, hey, uh, "Why are you well, taking this so personally? Why are you taking Come this on. so personally? It's just business." And what he comes down to is, it's like you can't pull a scam. And what he says is, he, he's trying to pull a scam on me. And the unsaid second part is, he's not mad because if you're pulling scams with someone, can you really be upset when they're pulling scams on you? That's the whole point. And, of course, we don't really find out the details of that till the next episode. So after one more scene, let's get into the next episode. And this is the scene I was talking about. He goes to talk to uh, Frank and Paul. Oh, no, Frank and Lifeguard at Lifeguard's hideout. And they're talking about the situation. He's like, and Vinny's like, I can't explain it. it. I've never taken anything personally in this field before. Like it's all I've always been, you know, there I've been working in a thing where there are rules and I so I've followed the rules, but here it's like I'm on the moon. You know, none of this makes sense. And when I found out that all of these returns had been had been uh they were scamming us with these returns, I felt like it was my money that was being stolen and like this is my business. And that's that's the key of this arc is he's not treating it like an agent getting in. He is honestly, like, mentally committed to his role as a guy who's running a record label. Yeah, he loves it. 
He loves it. And he think and he actually says, if I hadn't joined the, you know, it's like if I hadn't joined the FBI, I feel like I could have done well in this business. <laughs> yeah, well, he probably yes, but when he's working with somebody else's money, this is money, and all that's the, the all this, and and that's what nobody really points out yeah, to him. Points out to him, yeah. And oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you wouldn't have had your you own. weren't a rich kid, and you weren't born into it, and you don't have a ton of musical talent, so it would have been a lot harder for you to get into the business if you hadn't joined the FBI, Vinny. And, and like, been able to blow whatever money you felt like it, whenever exactly. you felt like it. Oh yeah, completely. So and that's and I think that's the key part is he has this, and this is the first time, like he hasn't had this blinkered view of what the music industry is like. Because he has come into the music industry unbelievably privileged. Yeah. And this is the first time that he's actually feeling the bite of being in the music industry. So, yeah, like, that's the weird part. When he got handed, you know, mil uh, tens of thousand dollars whenever by Sonny, he never felt like it was his money. No. When he got handed, you know, literally millions of dollars by Mel Profit, he never felt like it was his money. The money from uh, the money from Roger that he felt like was his money. Yeah. But it's like this is the first time inside one of his jobs that he has felt like this is my money. This is my job. This is my life. And that's why. And I know it's crazy, but that's why he didn't tip the guy. Because yeah. no, not no, perfectly. Yeah, it's yeah. And it, and and I think that's brilliant writing because the tip just seems like he's acting out of character until you get to the end of the episode and you're yeah. like, oh no, he's it's not out of character. This is just a really well written television show. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Like just a... it's yeah, because it's like they remembered something because it's not like we see v Vinny tipping a lot, but they remember the two times in the show he is extravagantly tipped, right? And they and they brought it back as a callback to make this scene work. Yep. So yeah, just my admiration for this show grows the more time <laughs> I spend with it. The more we're doing with it. The more we're watching it, the more yeah. I admire the show. All right. We spent a lot of time talking about this episode. I mean, the, the 20 minutes about, you know, <laughs> spousal abuse didn't help the overall time of the episode. But it was relevant to what we were talking about. Yeah. Uh, let's get into it. Let's get into the second episode. We'll move, I promise we'll be a little faster with this one. Because this one is a much more, much less character-based, much more plot-based episode. It's, we are now <laughs> halfway through the arc, and they start turning the screws on. Yeah. And this is where things start moving really fast. And this is also the episode where I would say, um, it's the episode that makes you feel... Like, we need a lot more. Like, I wish this episode, this arc was longer. Yeah. Right? I, I want more of Isaac. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the epi the pre, like, the episode ended. The previous episode, um, what do you call it? Uh, as we know, it ended with him, uh, looking like he was gonna sign Diana. It looked like things are getting really bad. And it, things are gonna go real bad real fast. Meanwhile, at the start of the episode, we get the first full scene between Diana and Winston, where we get a sense of how their relationship works. Yeah. Right? We get the sense of how the relationship works and how it functions, and they've gotten into this unhealthy loop of 
he gets distracted with a work, uh, and he, she does something extravagant. Oh, you're not talking attention. about Diana. Oh, sorry, Diana, Diana. Diana. I'm sorry, Paul, uh, Claudia, Claudia. I'm sorry, everybody, Claudia. We no, get no. a sense of finally how their relationship works. Yes. And it's not healthy. Spoiler alert. Because he, you know, it's like he gets distracted. She does something to, you know, act out, right? Yep. To and so she goes and she cheats on him, or she buys a car, or she buys, as she says, a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car just to get his attention, so that again they can have makeup sex, and this is how their relationship works. Yep. And so she says, this time, uh, sometimes I buy twenty thousand dollar fur coats. And we realized that she showed up naked in a fur coat. And and her line, oh, Winston, I'm running out of ways to get your attention. attention. Well, and uh, she does yeah. do the nice, the sweetest thing she could have possibly said, given how toxic their relationship is. Can we just skip the fight this time? Yeah. And go straight to having sex in your office. Yeah, and having sex, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's what they do. And it's, I mean, it's like... It's not sweet exactly, but it's as sweet as we can ever expect their relationship to be on the show. <laughs> I was going to say, it's as sweet as Winston can get. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, he like he's not capable of expressing why or how or being a good husband. He does love his wife. He's just really bad. As we at, will. You know, yeah. You know. As we will see going forward. He does yeah. love her. He just, he's never been able to communicate it in a healthy way. And when you find out that he's the son of dirt poor laboring German immigrants, you're like, yes. oh, he never learned how to love. Never... <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, that would be. Uh... We're not going to spend the next 20 nope. minutes talking about. We're Alice not talking Miller. about that. We've already done that. But it's like, you know where he's coming from. Yep. And the fact that he's, you know, the fact that he's the son of first generation well, he is a first generation. He's he came the to first America generation. Three. Yeah, he's yep. first generation from England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was born in England. Born in England, and he, his parents were, were immigrants. To Baltimore in the yeah they were and Germans. Then they moved. Yeah, Germans living in uh yeah. So they were born in, in New Quay. He was born in England in New Quay, and that's why he picked the name. And so yeah, and he was moved to Baltimore, and as as he says, like the accent is a put on. <laughs> to make him seem more classy which you know great hey great great scam but he is technically he was <laughs> technically born in england right? he has a right to the accent even if he's never actually spoken in his life before he decided to uh so yeah wonderful character wonderful scene and then we get more with uh we get more with bobby uh well not bobby right now but at uh shakala because they're um the bobby's off in japan making a deal for distribution of Diana's album. We also see the key art, and key art winds up being really important later, uh, the key art for Diana's album that they're sending off to the presses to get it out there ASAP. And Vinny complains about, you know, the Vinny complains about, you know, the way they've been screwed. Isaac wants to let it about, go. These are cleans. And... These uh, finding out about how they're getting screwed on cleans and they're getting screwed by Cushman and everywhere they look, Money is being stolen from them, and they don't like it. Uh, then Vinny goes to his office, and he runs into Monroe Blue again, who is... Uh, and he finds out that, yeah, uh, Monroe Blue isn't exactly destitute. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually... It makes a good chunk of change. Uh, 
he did get screwed out of all the uh, the revenue for, for his Strut Strut and Honey. Honey, but he was written like thirty other big hits. Yeah, and he didn't get the screwed out of all of them. In fact, he's doing quite well for himself. He was just really ticked off that someone, and that's the thing, he was feeling exactly like Vinny did over the records. Yeah, like this isn't in. It's not the because at the end of the day, it's not Vinny's money. But he felt like what is it? An injustice was done to him. And that's what the album was. That's what the new version of Strut and Honey is doing to him. Yeah. Right? That it's like, yeah, he doesn't technically need the money. It's the injustice. It's the fact that somebody's screwing him and he's got to hear it every day on the out. Al- like, he's hearing it on the every radio, day on the radio. The jukebox. The and... jukebox of every bar he goes into. And he goes into a lot of bars. <laughs> so, yeah, like, you get where he's coming from. And again, they are mirroring what Vinny's going through with what the various characters are going through. And but and again, it's the sh- audience. It's the show being willing to trust his audience because what like it doesn't even tell us in this episode until an episode later that what Vinny was doing, getting having the screaming argument at the end of the ripoff stick is the exact same thing. The ripoff stick that Monroe was talking about at the start of the episode yep. is what Vinny experiences at the end of the episode, and the show doesn't even flag it until another episode later. Uh, <sighs> again, is there a show that trusts its audience more than Wise Guy? No. I mean, you know, there's not no. a ton. Like, even Fargo explains stuff to you, you know? This show just trusts its audience to be paying attention in a way that few other shows do. So yeah, again, you just you gotta love it. You know? Yeah. You do. You Those of us it. who love good writing. <laughs> yeah. Got, like we'll see this as the greatest example of it. Uh right? And then uh Vinny has a plan. Because he needs to he needs to keep needling, right? New quite. We Winston, right? Yeah. Uh because Winston is pissed. Because, spoiler alert, uh, they're sending Diana away. <laughs> well, what's well, interesting, well, like, the, yeah. here's a timing thing, right? Yeah. Because, again, like, yeah. it, it feels, the way it's written, it feels like it, it's, it's a week later. But it yeah. can't possibly be. Yeah. Because <laughs> they can't have gotten her to Jamaica and the rest of it. Because that, that does quickly. happen. I mean... The the thing is, Diana gets smart the next morning when she wakes up. Yeah, and just like I cannot stay, Winston's going to destroy me. Like he I've did already last time. agreed. I've yeah, done I've a handshake. Already agreed. To yeah, sign I've done with a, him. a verbal. I've we've already got a verbal agreement for me to go back to Radiance. If I stay here, I will sign with him. I am in love with him, and I don't know how to. I don't know how to turn that off. So yeah. all I can do is just flee, and yeah. so they send her out and. Sadly, and this is what I'm talking about with the uh, the wish had been longer series wrap on Deborah Harris. Diana. Yeah, on you're Deborah never going to see Diana again on the show. No, it's tragic, but you're just never going to see Diana again after that episode. Like, ugh, it's it's heartbreaking. You know, <laughs> there's there's so much more. <laughs> there's just so there's so much more they could do. You know? Oh yeah. But I'm anyway. not disagreeing but I get with it, you. I get it. I get it. I mean, it's but the shows the shows moving. Shows back. only forty eight forty eight minutes long. 
exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it's like if you did a few more episodes, though. But anyway, the point is, it's a fantastic. Like it's it's fantastic where that went. So now she's been sent off. And they're like, okay, well, I was using Diana to dig in at. I was using Diana to dig in at Winston. How am I going to dig in now? And he comes up with a plan. Eddie Tempest is one of these guys who doesn't want to get stuck recording the same album over and over again, right? So let's give him something he can't get with Winston. Let's have Monroe Blue write him an album. Let's have Johnny Medley produce the album for him. And suddenly he'll be in a position where, uh, like, he won't be able to say no to uh, signing with Shakala because it'll give the, he will have the creativity he's lacking everywhere else. Yeah. And Monroe's on board with the plan and Johnny Medley's on board with the plan. So they go to his office, which is again, the bar, the pool hall he hangs out at with his band, <laughs> which, you know, that's pretty nice. Oh yeah. It's pretty nice. We get a wonderful scene and we do a little conversation about the history of rock and, Johnny does some cocaine because that's who Johnny is. He has not, in fact. Tanya, Tanya goes. Tanya goes and hustles. Hustles some pool and a guy. Gets co- and a guy and Johnny gets coked up and goes talk to goes to talk to Eddie Tempest. And they make a case where it's like he's limiting himself, you know, by being the guy who only listens to Dio. <laughs> but right by being this rocker, it's like if you want a lasting career you have to be able to branch out. You have to be able to do interesting stuff. And you have to appreciate all forms of music. music. You have to appreciate the art. It doesn't matter. He hates jazz. He hates country. A bunch of shit. Well, and the funny part is, yeah. Well, then he they they, they managed to take him to at least come and talk to Monroe Blue. And so we go from a pool hall to a dive bar. Because they're really not so different after all. And the Monroe schools him on the fact that it's like, come on, Ray Charles did a whole country album. Yeah, like give me nobody, a break. Like, nobody is better than country singers than just like, here's the story, here's how I'm feelings, putting their emotions to paper and music. Like, nobody's better than that than country stars. So it's like, you got to be willing to look everywhere for your, influ- uh, for your influences. And he says, and this is what we can do for you. We can school you in music. We can produce the best album, we can write the best album, and we can turn you into something more than you are now. Because as Eddie says, in a couple of years, I'll be self-parody because Winston just wants me to do the exact same thing over and over again until it stops selling. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great, another great scene. And you're like, oh my god, Vinny's plan is working. This this could really happen, right? Yeah. This could actually happen this is going to go well. And then uh, we and get then, to well, the we, next. No, no, but the genius is, between then, we get a scene that, like where Amber desperately wants to, like, know uh, how is Winston staying afloat? Because like, he's always got money for gambling. No, and he's how not taking is it seriously. Oh, so I keep saying Winston. Why is, how is Isaac staying afloat? Because yeah. he's always got money for gambling. He's always got money for partying. And he's not taking it seriously. And it's like, and we get more from isaac about how it's just like he just doesn't feel connected to the industry anymore like now the industry is just where he gets his gambling money he just doesn't feel connected and she's so frustrated by him and she still loves him but it's like 
it's obviously something that they're going to have to figure out, right? Because this is a serious, it's a serious problem in their relationship. And they love each other, but he's like, I'm a tired old man. Yeah. You expect me to, like, go out and hustle and find things? It's just not who I am anymore. But, you know, uh, that's, it's, it's going to come up, believe you me. And then we get the key scene. So everything looked like it was going well. But what does Eddie Tempest do? He goes straight to Winston. Yep. Jesus Christ. And this is why everybody hates Eddie Tempest. Yep. God damn it, Eddie. He goes straight to Winston. Give me this and this and this. If you can't get me Monroe Blue to, to write songs and Johnny Medley to produce my album... You know, I'm going to go and sign with Dead Dog. You're going to be out. It's like, Jesus Christ, Eddie. What the hell are you doing? Well, he's an arrogant little twerp. Yeah, and that's it. That That's all he is. He's this yeah. arrogant little, and he's like, and and that's the thing. It's all about ego. Yeah. He has been stepped on by Winston for like three or four years now, because he's like a 25-year-old rocker who's been doing this since he was you know, 19 and he got signed in his early twenties. And now like he just feels like he's on a treadmill because yep. he is on a treadmill. Like he's not wrong. He is on a treadmill. Right. Uh, but he's so frustrated and he's like, it's all about ego. And he's like, I've got a chance to screw over Winston the way he's been screwing me over and I'm going to take it. But it's like, no, Eddie, you screw him over by taking the deal and cutting him out of the money. You don't yeah. screw him over by telling him that you have a plan to screw him over. I know. What the hell is wrong with you? Naive uh, little kid. No, he doesn't know that. But he's not a gamer. Uh, yeah. Sorry, he's not a game player. He's not, he is not like Vinny. He is not in this industry. He doesn't come to this industry from the mob or from the government or just from being in the industry a long time. He doesn't understand how this stuff plays. And then we get the pivotal scene which is Johnny going to a parent-teacher conference with his <laughs> wife. Oh. Oh, that's a rough one. She's been drinking in school. Drinking in class! In class! And as he says, has she been drinking at home? And he's like, we no. don't... Hey, no. Uh, under no circumstances. Again, what's the literal first thing we saw them do? Yeah. <laughs> her drinking a bunch of wine with dinner and it obviously wasn't her first glass because as he said why does a do- guy let his daughter drink that much yeah like uh that ain't his daughter uh but the funny part about the scene is uh is as the guy says you know um we get the hilarious line where he's like we have one of the straightest <laughs> houses houses in the industry uh right tanya and then tanya responds with well in the industry yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, let's be clear here, just in the industry. <laughs> so very funny line, very funny moment. Uh and then the guy, you know, and then takes the principal Johnny just task, yeah. and be like, you know, I'm not I'm not an out of touch school administrator. I read Rolling Stone magazine. I know what the music industry is like, and I can tell that you're on Coke. So if well, you ever if you ever have to be back in this office, you better be straight when you get here. And Johnny, you know what? 
he seems to take that in, like he seems okay. to take yeah. that in stride. Well, well I'm okay. sure that he had trouble with the principal when he was in school too. <laughs> well, absolutely. <laughs> this is not yeah. news for him. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. Uh, then Johnny goes outside, and uh, who's waiting for him? Winston, who wants to know. Uh, what's what's going uh, what's going on with this? You and Eddie Tempest recording an album, not at Radiance Recordings, and of course he tries to play dumb. He's like, "No, it's guys talking in a bar. Don't worry about it. Like, it's nothing. We were just talking about hypotheticals and possibilities." And Winston says, "If you don't, if you cross me, you're dead in this industry." And the interesting thing is, we have been led up until this point to believe that Johnny is enough of a talent that he can pretty much get away with whatever he wants. That's not what Winston believes. And Winston proves what he believes by uh, saying to Johnny, this is where you get out of the limo. Like, where are we? Get out and find out. Oh, they're on top of a parking garage where Winston's goons are waiting to throw Johnny off the roof. So suddenly things got very real. And again, we have to call back, this isn't coming from nowhere. There are so many stories, and I'm not going to go back to Vanilla Ice, but there's 50 other stories of people in the music industry signing contracts at gunpoint. Like, this is not as unheard of as we would like it to be. And he gets thrown off a roof, and the next time we see him, he's in the hospital with a broken back, because, thank God, they only threw him one story. Uh, cause this could have gone very badly for him had he been deciding to make an example of him rather than making a point to him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now Johnny's, now Johnny's in the hospital and Johnny's in the hospital. Eddie Tempest wants to work. Eddie Tempest only, uh, you know, still wants to work with, uh, Winston. Everything Vinny has planned is going to hell really really quickly yep uh yeah and uh hell for the love of god like <laughs> he calls up tanya calls up monroe blue to sneak uh to sneak him out johnny the, out, of, out the of, the of the hospital johnny out of the hospital so they can take him down to like baja or whatever out of winston's reach well yeah and that's 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 what uh Vinny tells her to do yeah, just get just him out of get the him out of, cools down, yeah. Which is a smart thing to do. Get him and, away from Winston. <laughs> yeah, and but to be fair, Vinny and Frank do go to the parking garage to see if there's any evidence. Yeah. To see if, like, they could get something on this, because they assume there's not going to be any testifying, right? They yeah. assume there's not going to be any testifying, so they want to see if they got any concrete evidence, maybe a security camera, but there's nothing. They're never going to be able to prove it, so... They just have to take this one as an L and move on to the next thing. And the next thing is Bobby Travis calls Vinny to say that Diana's sig- single is already in stores in Japan, even though it's not supposed to be coming out for two weeks because they've been screwed by uh, they've been screwed with cleans by Isaac. And so Vinny rushes to the office to talk to Isaac about this. And Isaac's like, I'm not screwing you. Here's your bank book. Here's the bank book where all of your illegal money is getting put in every couple of weeks. We're partners. 
we're partners in crime. <laughs> like, this is the music industry. You think I'm going to screw you? So he and Bobby each have a bank book for Japan where their $100,000 is sitting. It's fantastic. And it's like, and this is why you can't help but love Isaac as a character. Yeah. And because he doesn't even understand why Vinny would ever think. Like, of course, like, we're all criminals, is his point of view. Of course I would never screw you. We're all criminals. You just got to be patient for a second. And how can you stay mad at a guy like that? And then he takes at the... Oh, well, we're now in well, big now, dollar, high okay. dollar bop, by the way. Now we Just get to high case. dollar... Yeah, we're well into high dollar bop. I did yeah. announce the new episode. Uh, we're well into... And he says to Vinny, all right, this is great. So let's uh, let's have a... Go, let's, let's go have some fun. We all just got paid. Let's go back to the game. And they go back to the game where they were playing, last time they were playing straight poker, this time they were playing what I consider to be the most interesting game of poker there is. Uh, okay. Seven card stud. So the problem is, right, straight poker is a 100% uh, uh, is entirely about, what do you call it, um, bluffing. Yep. That's all straight poker. It's just bluffing. You have no idea what your opponent's cards are. Right? And so yeah. it's entirely can you read the opponent. It is a game of psychology. It's not a game of uh, psychology and skill. It isn't really a game of chance because poker is the only game, like, well, if not the only, one of the only games where you can lose with the better cards. In you know, 99% of other gambling, whoever has the best card wins. If you're playing now something like Gin Rummy, there is some skill in knowing when to get out. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, if you don't have the cards, you don't have the cards. In yeah. poker, you can have the worst cards in the world, and, and you can still win a hand of poker. Yeah. That's the key, right? And it's just not like that in other games. The the luck element. And that is 100% straight poker. It's just skill. Uh, the poker that is popular now, Texas Hold'em, is just probability. It's just math. It's yeah. much less about skill. Yeah, what are your two cards? is important but everybody knows the math of what uh, like the math in um in texas hold'em all the math is so easy right that everybody knows the math and it just becomes you know a simple odds game when you when to stay in when to get out right um seven card stud is fascinating because it's much weirder and harder math because if people don't know what happens with seven card stud is you get dealt a um you get dealt a whole card and uh, two sorry you get two whole cards and three oh no and two uh, face cards and those are cards everybody sees and everyone has their own face cards right so you know what your whole cards are your two whole cards but everyone can three years uh, see your three face cards then you do a round of betting and another face card gets put up for everybody and you do another round of betting and then you get another whole card and another face card gets put up. So now there are, uh, what do you call it? Three whole cards and four face cards on the table. So that is why it's called seven card stud. And you are allowed to use any combination of your seven cards to make a poker hand. And so you're in this position where the person you're playing against can feel like they have a sense 
of what your card cards must be in hand must be, but they can't ever know for sure because there's three big question marks. Yeah. And that's th that's what makes it different from uh, any other kind of poker. Those three big question marks totally change the game. You can do some of the math, but there's still a bluffing component. I It's my favorite kind of poker. I love watching it. I love playing it. It's fantastic. Did I get fascinated with it because of this episode? Yes. But now I genuinely think it's a great kind of poker to play. All right. So they're playing, and Winston, sorry, Winston, is, says he's down about 50 grand or something, and he's, and he's leaving, and of course, you know, Isaac can't Isaac, stop from needling no. him, because it's always a game, and he's like, oh, you know, he can't ro roll with me. And of course, Winston says the most brutal thing he could say, which is that he has only ever put up with Isaac's nonsense because he found it entertaining yeah we're not in the same league and you're starting to bore me if like if you wanted to destroy isaac with a single sentence that's the sentence that'd do it telling isaac that he's starting to bore you and so isaac says oh i'm boring you let's play no limit poker then and isaac has a hand that would take anything well just remember yeah okay yeah go all right, yeah, so Isaac going. has a hand, right, that would win anything because it's a full house, right? Uh, it's a full house, kings and tens. Three kings, two tens. It's, it's a fantastic hand. Literally, the only two hands in poker that can beat it are three of a kind and a straight flush. And Winston, like, does not have the, like, they can see four of his cards, and none of them are, like, the same suit that are next to each other, meaning, mathematically speaking, he can't have a straight flush. And he doesn't have a pair showing, so he probably, so he literally can't have a full house either. But he try, and so he tries to buy the pot by saying, here's a million dollars. I'm going to bet a million dollars, which Isaac can't come up with. And Isaac's like, give me a second to think about this. Hold on. Uh, now, and again, the math makes sense. Literally, the only hand that Winston could have that could beat Isaac at this point is four of a kind. And for that to happen, all of his whole cards would have to be the same card because he doesn't have any matching cards in the visible things. And yeah. so Isaac quite reasonably assumes that he's trying to buy the pot with a million dollars. And so Winston uh, and Winston does the thing and unfortunately Isaac doesn't realize what he's doing because Winston says you can't possibly keep stay in the game the only thing you have worth that much money is your company and you'd never bet your company Ugh. and Isaac is the kind of guy who doesn't like being told not what what not to do well Plus, well, as we all know, I mean, Winston knows full well. Oh, yeah. Winston knows exactly who Isaac is. Yeah. I mean, he's been playing poker with him forever. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, they literally have been friends for decades. Long decades, yes. Decades. He knows who. Like, he knows Isaac exactly is. who Isaac is. And so Isaac bets the, bets the farm. Literally, he bets his whole livelihood. And Winston did have the four of a kind. Yep. 
Oof. Now, so a, uh, now Isaac yeah. has lost Shackle. Yep. And now Vinny grabs the a uh, couple of cards off the no grabs a card off the table because he is one hundred percent sure the game was rigged. Yeah. Like, this went too well for Winston for the game to not be rigged. Yep. But he immediately goes to Radiance Recordings and says, Where's my office? And they're like, Is this a joke? And he's like, Read my contract. You know, I go wherever Radiance goes with the where Shackala goes. Shackala goes with the exact same terms that were in the uh, Shackala contract. And, uh, and, you know, Claudia's there and she's like, well, Vinny made a big splash in just a couple of months. Why not give him a shot? And that's a good point. Why not give him a shot? And it's like, okay, well, prove to me you're a value. Can you sort out this Eddie Tempest nonsense? He's like, okay, give me five, you know, give me till tonight and I'll sort out this Eddie Tempest nonsense. And so Vinny goes and he rounds up Monroe Blue and Eddie Tempest. And he says to them, okay, well, let's, let's make this deal. Right. Uh, but of course, first he has to stop by Shakala and explain to them that, uh, you know, we're going to work for Winston. Cla- uh, what do you call it? I almost said Claudia. Amber's pissed off about this because of, you know, him just stealing their life, their whole livelihood, including the office space they're working out of. <laughs> like, literally, uh, Winston has taken everything from Everything. Them. Yes, because they owned the building. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because they own the building. He's literally taken everything from them. And the the funny part is, like, Isaac doesn't seem to care. No. It's the first thing he's been excited about in years. years. (laughs) He's like, I built this company once. I can do it again. I finally have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. In the morning. (laughs) It's just. Yeah, it's it's a great scene. Yeah. Like, it truly is a great scene. And then we get how Vinny settles it, which is Eddie and, uh, Eddie and Monroe Blue shows up, show up at, uh, the office. And they're just like, hey. Uh, okay, you want you want to make this deal? Great, pay Monroe what he owes, uh, what you owe him. If you want me to work here without a fuss, I want to work with Monroe. But for that, you got to pay uh, Monroe what you owe him. And so he's like, "How much am I supposed to owe you? Quarter of a million dollars." And so he just writes him a check, hands it over. Except the check is only for one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, because he'll always try to get. He'll always he always wants to be in control, as we were talking about in the last episode. He always has to have a flex. He always has to remind everybody who's in charge. And so, okay, I'll I'll pay you back. No questions asked. There's no contract. Here's your money. But it's only half what you think you earn. Well, you've earned. And so what does Monroe do? He takes the money and problem solved. Yep. And then Vinny says, let me know. You know, it's like, what's next? And Winston says, when I want you, I'll call you. <laughs> Of course oh. he does. And meanwhile, uh, since he's out of the business anyway, it turns uh, temporarily out of the business anyway, Isaac uh, has realized he is pretty pissed about the $150,000 Cushman stole from him. Yeah. So he goes to Radiance Recordings to beat it out of him. No, no, to the record store to beat it out yes, of Yes, to Cushman. Uh, yes, to beat it out of Cushman. But what he doesn't know is that Vinny's got 
uh, Frank following him and recording him because all Vinny was hoping to happen was to get the two of them talking about how they were selling cleans yeah. and that way they could take down Cushman as well and have extra leverage. But instead, they get footage of him attacking Cushman. <laughs> and then the funny part is they get what they wanted anyway because Cushman turns out to be a complete light lightweight who the minute he got punched, panics and goes to Frank and says, I'll tell you everything. Yeah. Just give me a deal and I'll testify against Isaac for everything. Oh, it's it's a beautiful scene. I mean, they're all beautiful scenes, but this is an especially beautiful scene. And so in just one episode of plot after plot after plot after plot, by the end of this episode, Vinny's exactly where he wants to be. In inside Radiance. Yeah, he's inside Radiance recordings. And the thing is, like Vinny, without planning for it, made this happen every step of the way. Yeah. Because everything Vinny did cut like at the end of the day, Diana was never gonna come back without Vinny. And Amber and Isaac were never going to cut. Like cut into Radiance recordings. They're on an entirely different level of the industry. They were never going to be a threat to uh, Winston. So if Vinny hadn't done all of this, Winston wouldn't have started making these moves. And everything bad that happens to Winston is a direct result of a move Winston made. Winston never would have been making these moves if Vinny hadn't been triggering him by the crazy way he's coming into the business like a bull in a china shop. Yeah, I mean, it's like, the funny part about this is, Vinny's plan completely works, just not in the way he expected. Like, who could, as he says at the end of the episode, who could have imagined a crooked card game would have gotten me into the heart of this industry? Yeah, unbelievable. It's fantastic. Like, I know people, I know some people, this isn't their favorite arc, because there isn't a lot of crime stuff in it. There's literally no shooting. Nobody gets shot the entire arc. The worst that happens is Bobby Travis gets beat up and then Johnny Medley gets thrown off a roof. Like, that's the worst of actually someone trying to hurt someone else. That's the worst that happens in the entire arc. And after, like, the incredibly intense both crime and character stuff of of the garment trade arc, this can seem like such a step down in stakes. But I love it because the character stuff is so good and the extent to which it shows that Vinny has finally become a real player. You know? Yep. Yeah, I, I well, you know I love I love yeah, this art. Love I mean, and it's partially and I would I'll say this again. It's partially because the lack, the fact that there are no murderers and drug dealers and arms merchants running around mean that it's easier to empathize and sympathize for all of the characters. Uh-huh. I think that's a big part of it, but part of it is just like, it's a pleasure finally seeing Vinny completely in happy. his element. He's happy. <laughs> he's in his element and he's good he's at his job. He's having fun. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's enjoying himself and he's good at it. And he's good at both sides of it. That's the crazy part. He's good at the record industry stuff, and he's good at making the bad guys make mistakes. And he doesn't have to betray anybody in the same way that he had to 
even with Mel and with with Mel, Mel and, and Susan, Susan. but yes. the, oh, way Sunny, like there's no, there's nothing here that is really um, outside I, of the I people. Think, it's the everything will be written off as the cost of doing business. Yeah, and and I think it, and the reason, of course, is Isaac Twine. Mm-hmm. That that yes, okay. Isaac basically did this and lost his company yeah. all by himself without really Vinny having anything to do with it. <laughs> yep. So he didn't have to do any of these big betrayals. Technically, Vinny did have something to do with it because Winston never would have stolen Shakala if Eddie Tempest hadn't threatened to go to Shakala. Well, yes, I know, but that wasn't. But I know, no, I know, I know. He, it, but he, Vinny I, didn't plan it. You're right. You know, I mean, there, that that was totally unplanned. Of course, completely unforeseenable. Yeah. If if Vinny had been smarter in the business or had Bobby Trask around, Bobby would have told him what this kid was going to do. Yep. He, for whatever reason, he didn't discuss it with Bobby. Well, Bobby was off in Japan the entire. Episode. That's right. Bobby's he off spent in two Japan, weeks yes. in Japan making deals yeah. for the. Uh, That's right. Bobby would have told him, "Don't do this because he's going to go to Winston." Yeah. Because in the end, Winston, if he can threaten Winston into doing what doing he wants. it it's doing what result. he wants it's a better result and more yeah. money for him oh yeah and you at know? the end of the day so yeah i mean and bobby would have warned vinnie that you that's you can't mm-hmm. you can't trust him and but vinnie doesn't know the business enough he doesn't know the players the way he knew the players in the steel grave arc yeah he knows like, all of those guys. those players he understood yeah, you know, one, and he could know. anticipate this. Oh yeah, he couldn't have anticipated Eddie Tempest going back, betraying to... him, and he couldn't have anticipated Winston like overreacting to the point where he rigs a car game to steal a company. He couldn't have yeah. predicted that. Yes. Now, of course, our audience does not know that the card game is really rigged. Well, yet. no, I mean they don't know it's really rigged, but Vinny is one hundred percent at the end of this episode. Yeah, Vinny is one hundred percent certain. But he's going to have to be able to. But he hasn't. Well, no. And he specifically says, "If I can't prove it the good way, I'll just, you know, I'll go to the guy who runs the card game and make a muscle." You know, like I have a. Everybody knows I'm a a hitman for the mob. I'm sure I can scare the truth out of him. Yeah, it's a good scene. No, it's it's a a really really good good scene. scene. So, you know, um, yeah, no, it everything is just set up so beautifully. All of these different people. And I mean, it's, it's, we have to be so careful about. <laughs> Don't, oh no, we're not. I have managed to not give away anything that happens in this. You know, it, it was so, it was so, yeah. so hard in many ways. Well, what's interesting is th- about this episode, is, about this arc, mm-hmm. is that it uses the same structure mm-hmm. as the garment trade. In that, so the first three, like the first four have been the setup. Yeah. Right? And the midpoint is when Diana leaves, uh-huh. right? And it's now just a war between him and Winston, mm-hmm. uh, right? And then these two, the next two episodes, which is, um, I'm going to check the titles. It's uh, Hip Hop on the Gravy Train and what's the second one? Uh, Hip Hop on the Gravy Train and then the one that got away. So those mm-hmm. two episodes... They're the climax of the arc. And then the seventh episode, Living and Dying in 404 Time, is a denouement again. 
Oh, it's yes, it's the same structure, the and I love structure. it. Yeah, and that episode seven. Well, oh God, I mean, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I just think it's fascinating that they discovered the importance of having a denouement. Yeah, in the garment trade, and then they replicated that structure for this arc, which is why it's such a good arc. Because it's like yeah. you get to the big dramatic climax, but that's what they did with Date with an Angel too. It's a denouement. Yeah after dirty little wars yeah and that's the thing by keeping the denouement as part of the arc it's stronger and that's why last rites for lucci isn't as impressive as date with an angel or postcard from morocco or living and dying in four four time because the denouement the come down after the climax is part of the arc and, and all of the characters why, are still present for it and that's why we got white noise yeah exactly to give us the, the denouement, denouement, the correct denouement for the Steel Grave arc. Yeah. Now, yeah. if you they had thought to do a denouement to the Steel Grave arc, it would have been different. Oh, completely. You know, but that does that's that's beside the point. It they is. learned, and and I, it's what I. That's what makes this. But this episode, all I can say is if people aren't crying at the end of this episode seven. I know. There's something wrong with you. There's <laughs> something deeply <laughs> wrong with you. All right. Uh, we'll get there. All right. So that's this week's episode. Join us back here next week for, as I said, 217 Hip Hop and the Gravy Train, 218 The One That Got Away, the climax of the music industry arc. We'll be back here yeah. next week to talk about that. Until then, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you think we should check out, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you're listening to this on some sort of an app or podcast, be sure to rate and review. That's how people find the show. We'll see you here back next week. But until then, au revoir. And we did warn you it would be long. <laughs> did we ever. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.